as we have this increase of stress, as you pointed out, difficulty coping, increase of substance use, serious mental health problems, we also have a significant decrease in the number of mental health professionals available to treat the population it needs to treat. 988 is a national three-digit number that the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which actually had a name change recently to 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, but that is a national number. And on July 16th of 2022, that number went live. Hello everyone, welcome to Power Up Women a multi-generational conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice through a female lens. I'm Ann Doyle. I hope you've all had a great summer. It's been a spectacular one here in Michigan where we have some of the best summer weather in the entire United States. I tore myself away for a two-week trip to Chile, a fascinating and narrow country that stretches nearly the length of South America between the Pacific Ocean and the Andes Mountains, from their gorgeous capital of Santiago all the way to the southern tip of Patagonia near Antarctica. And I will never forget the feeling of staring up into the night sky in Chile's Atacama Desert. At 8,000 feet and no light for hundreds of miles, you can see trillions of stars. So I hope you experience something equally inspiring or memorable this summer because we all need inspiration and regular sources of joy. Life is full of ups and downs for everyone. But these days to me, it feels as if we've had more than our share. From mass shootings to political differences and violence dividing families and friends, not to mention the long-term impact of the isolation, fear, and loss of the COVID pandemic that we've all gone through together. No wonder we have a mental health crisis. So that's why I've invited an expert and a leader who is on the front lines of helping to tackle this crisis. Heather Ray is the president and CEO of Common Ground, a 50-year-old crisis services nonprofit mental health agency that not only helps thousands of Michiganders move from crisis to hope every year, but is also a respected national resource on public policy to tackle our mental health crisis. Heather has a master's in clinical psychology and helped lead the recent passage of legislation here in Michigan for the establishment of crisis stabilization units. And she was recently recognized by Crane's Detroit Business as one of Michigan's health care heroes. Her vision is to extend crisis services for mental health to the same level of importance that we give to access to police and fire. Welcome, Heather. That's a big vision you have there. Thank you, Anne. Yes, it's something I'm very passionate about. Thank you for having me today. Give us some context here, Heather. Would you agree with my characterization that we have a mental health crisis in this country? I absolutely would agree. And just to give you some, some statistics on that, certainly the suicide rate has continued to grow over each decade. But if we look back it's quite alarming. Since 1999 to today, 30% increase 
in our suicide rate in our nation. Wow. Since 1999, a 30% increase? That is correct. That's horrifying. Amidst this incredible number of, of suicides, this does not include the overdoses that we have seen and, and heard about through opioid or fentanyl. And it also does not really account for the health care crisis, the, the, the worker shortage that we have in our system is not getting better through COVID. We thought maybe it would be a little bit better. You know, in 2021, it wasn't, and it's not better in 2022. So as we have this increase of stress, as you pointed out, difficulty coping, increase of substance use, serious mental health problems, we also have a significant decrease in the number of mental health professionals available to treat the population it needs to treat. Wow. I don't even know where to start. You have laid so many things on the table here in terms of issues related to this crisis, but specifically to the shortage of healthcare workers. Are people leaving the profession because it's so stressful? Is that the problem? There's a lot of different reasons. There's not just one, but yes, that is a key factor. Those mental health professionals, healthcare professionals who have been under such stress for the last several years find other things to do, don't want to be working in an environment that has, you know, overtime demands associated with it, sometimes dangerous work conditions. It's, it's a highly stressful environment to work in an emergency department or in a crisis center, which is where our program is. And 24-7. So it's not just day shift, it's weekends, it's, it's evenings, it's midnight shift, People have, I think, had a recalibration where they want to have, you know, more flexibility in their lives. They want to have meaning, certainly, but they want to have a, a, a more manageable job that isn't as stressful. Right. I want to get into hearing about Common Ground, your organization that's doing so much to address these things, but you brought up suicide right off the bat. And so let's just talk about that for a minute, because I think I mentioned to you that I had a sister. My sister Mary was 22 years old. I was 25 when she took her own life. And so it's been an issue I care deeply about. I, I take very, very seriously when people are in crisis, because I know people really do kill themselves, but I'm stunned by this 30% number that you just shared with us. Is there any sense of why there has been this tremendous increase over such a short period of time? You know, there hasn't been a lot of research on getting to the root causes, but one of the things that happens is when suicide is prevalent in perhaps a school, what's, what typically happens, it's not a single event. It's almost uh, similar to a contagion where a, a friend may have uh, took their own life and then that friend is struggling and thinking that may be the way out for themselves and then the peer group and then the class, the school, etc. So we usually see suicides in clusters and, and that is the extent I think of, of where we are with research in, in that field right now is really understanding what's driving that. Why is that increase so steep and what is at the, the root cause? 
are a significant percentage of these increases young people? I mean, that's what I kind of hear. And is there any difference in terms of percentages versus male versus female? Yes, there there is. First, your first question for for youth, suicide is the second leading cause of death. That is incredible. That's beyond cancer. It is, you know, all of the childhood diseases that that kids face is not at that same rate as as suicide. So accidents and and suicide are are really what's what drives that that death rate up among youth. It's largely females. The methods are different in in which females take their lives versus a male. Typically for for boys, it is a more violent approach to their death than, you know, a female who may take pills or or have some other way. Of, of taking their own life, but it is it does tip toward more females than males. And what is your advice to people who are listening who, I guess, warning signs to look at, to take very, very seriously when they see these, if there's someone in their life who may be in danger and they may not realize it? Yeah. There's a lot of families, and it's not just kids, by the way, that, you know, the adults as well, there are signs, not always but there are signs in, in most cases. And the signs are additional substance use or, or maybe the start of substance use when that person hasn't used substances in the past. It's excessive sleep, not being able to function well at work, the typical signs of, of depression, inability to cope, not looking forward to activities, not being social. Those are the main signs that someone is really struggling. So let's step back for a minute and talk about Common Ground, your organization that you've been leading for seven years, but has been serving Michigan for over 50 years. Tell us about the organization. What are the services you provide? So yeah, Common Ground is a nonprofit. We have a few sites in Michigan. We have one in Genesee County where we have a mobile crisis team. And we have a couple locations in, in Oakland County. The main location for our services are in, is in Pontiac, Michigan. But really, our services are all focused on crisis intervention. People who are having a substance use or mental health crisis. We don't provide ongoing services. So we have a lot of partnerships, connections, collaborations with, with others who do that. But our niche is you know, serving people, whether it's through a call, a text, a chat, a mobile crisis service walk-in, and we recently added a virtual be urgent behavioral health care service as well. So it's really a full continuum of crisis services as a specialty. How do they use your services? I mean, this is in crisis, right? Instead of go calling the police department or going to the emergency room, I mean, there's common ground. Right. Yes. So there's a few services that I'd like to mention that are for all people. And one of them is a new service that we, we started delivering to people in Michigan about a year and a half ago, and it's called the Michigan Crisis and Access Line, and it's for anybody in Michigan. And then most recently, the implementation and rollout of a three-digit number, 988. 988 is a national three-digit number that the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which actually had a name change recently to 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, but that is a national number. And on July 16th of 2022, that number went live. And that is a really important resource for people listening today. It is for anyone, 
there's no insurance requirement. It can be anonymous and it is for people that who are struggling, regardless if it's a suicide situation or not, it doesn't matter. They, they're welcoming all calls. And just to give you an idea of the impact in the month and a half when 988 went live, we saw a large jump in our calls to the Michigan Crisis and Access Line that we answer. Our calls were somewhere around 3,000, 3,500 and in the month of July, which was only you know a couple of weeks, we saw a significant jump to almost 5,000 calls. So the, the 988 number, it's working. People are using it. And they can also text or, or computer chat to 988 as well. So it's really a great resource for people, for families, individuals who are struggling with a behavioral health crisis. You know, I'm kind of a news junkie and I pride myself on kind of keeping up on what's going on, but I had no idea about this 988 number until you and I were talking in preparation for this episode. I mean, how are they getting the word out nationally about this? I haven't seen any advertising. And the start of it, the turning on of the 988 on July 16th was not widely publicized because a brand new line going live on, you know, on that date, okay. out bugs, it was sort of a soft launch of it. And we saw the results. So when the, when the publicity really kicks in, which you'll see more and more of, I, I can only imagine how that's going to impact the people calling, texting and chatting. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Great. You know, another really very personal to us here in Michigan example of what's going on is this this terrible school shooting that we had in in Oxford last November where a 15-year-old student killed four other students injured seven including a, a teacher and this entire community of Oxford which is really just 15 minutes from my home is a whole community in trauma and i know that you are involved in the all for Oxford effort. I mean, this is one example of communities all around the country that have gone through the trauma of a terrible mass shooting. Anything you can tell us about how do you help a community in trauma like that? Yeah, well, there's a resiliency center that we have worked with the community to build in Oxford. And that's really meant to be a, a community gathering place for resources, for victim of crime services, for mental health services. And so there's many, many people involved in, in helping the, the community heal. But coming together um, in a place that's not a school, that's not a prosecutor's office, you know, that is a, a neutral location where we we try not, we try very hard to, to not do a lot of media, for instance, because that's not what people in Oxford want. They don't want to to have those reporters coming and you know it's happening now but you know they're trying not to entertain any reporters since the school year is starting because there's a lot of curiosity of how is the community doing but i can tell you that these resiliency centers they're across the country they're funded through the state so in our state it's the michigan department of health and human services and the grants actually originate at the federal level through the Anti-Terrorism and Emergency Assistance Program. So this was a new program for, for us. We had never been a part of an anti-terrorism and emergency assistance program, but that's where the funding um, goes 
from the feds to the state to the local community. So the, the center just recently opened and will be fully opened, that we're operating fully open in Oxford after Labor Day. And it's just for the community, for, for the people of Oxford. It's not for, you know, people who live outside of the community. So we're, we're really trying to, we, we want to tell people about it, but we have to walk this line because it is, it is specifically for Oxford and they don't want a lot of media about it. Right, right. And it, it's an acknowledgement, I think, that just like a death, there's the immediate trauma, but then the grief related to that trauma goes on and on and on, and it takes a long, long time to heal. Yes. So my question is then, how do you take care of yourself? Because this has to be really discouraging work. You talked about how many, many people just leave because of the, the stress involved and the shortage of people. How do you take care of yourself and keep yourself resilient and strong enough to keep leading in the way you are, Heather? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I, I have to say that it's not an easy thing. It's just, it, we are so busy, but committed at the same time to the work that we're doing. And so that, you know, that keeps me going with the, the new program that's trying to to sort of deal with the, the shortage of, of mental health workers, we've launched a behavioral health urgent care. And I'm very passionate about that. And that, like I said, keeps me going. So although there's a shortage as I mentioned earlier, of mental health workers, there isn't a shortage to, to the same degree of mental health workers who want to work virtually or remotely. And so we're finding that is the, it's easier to recruit mental health professionals when they, they don't have to leave their home. They don't have to be, you know, in traffic. They can, like many people like working from home, there is, you know, sort of a niche in, in the virtual behavioral health. So our behavioral health urgent care is something we're working on now. It launched in, in April. We have, that's the one service where we could be a lot busier. Many of our services are at capacity, but that is one where if someone were to go to our website, www.commongroundhelps.org and click on behavioral urgent care, they could see a, a clinician and a prescriber within one minute. Wow. In one minute. And we are open and, and available. So those are the, some, you know, the programs that, that keep me going because when I feel like, you know, and not just me, all of our staff, when we feel like we're not serving everyone who needs help because we are at capacity. It is disheartening because we're in this field because we care. We, we want to, to help those at their, at their most, you know, their moment of need. But when we can't, it, it does feel very uncomfortable and it does cause a lot of stress. So the behavioral urgent care is one of those areas that we all feel good about because we're, we're not maxed out. We, we, ha we have plenty of uh, room for services for people to, to access us virtually through our website. So those are the kinds of things that keep me going. To talk to a real live person, actually. Yes. Just like you and I are right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And when I meet people such as you who are so passionate about something and doing such challenging work, I always wonder why. What was it that got you to care so deeply about this work? How did you get into it, Heather? 
So yeah, when I was 15 years old, I was really struggling. My parents were getting a divorce. We had to move from our home. It was a very difficult time. And my father convinced me to, to get help. He, he helped me do that. And I went to therapy. Um, and I went to therapy for the rest of my high school years. And through that experience, not only did I learn a ton as a teenager about myself and, and how to regulate my thoughts and emotions and, and really who do I want to be? I mean, that was really the, the benefit overall to me. And, and who I wanted to be was someone like my therapist, someone who was able to, to reach children and, and help them from being in a place of, of stress and discomfort and being very unsure about their future to someone who said, I know what I want to do. I'm going to go to Western Michigan University where they have a wonderful behavioral health bachelor program. And that's where I started in my, in my schooling. And it was just a wonderful experience. And then when I got out of college, I got a job working with people with developmental disabilities and then children and, and now, and then adults. And now really we serve all people. There's no particular segment of the population that we don't serve anyone who's having a crisis. So, so yeah, I am very passionate because I, I felt it myself of, of feeling in a very low place and, and how a mental health professional could really change the course of my life. You know, I'm a big fan of therapy. I think my mom was supportive of it and and raised our awareness of it. But there's still a lot of people who are very reluctant to get therapy or or there's still a lot of shame around the whole idea of mental health versus going to the emergency room when we have a physical problem. Anything you can share with people about how to think about that, how we're trying to change attitudes about that? Yeah. And I understand it because I was in that same place too. You know, I didn't want to go as a teenager to therapy. Most teenagers, no, no, I don't need that. I don't need that. But my son. Yeah. Yeah. And I I trusted my father and I thought, all right, I will, I'll give this a try. And then I, I saw the value in it. So I think for, for, you know, for young people and, and, you know, parents of young people, just because the, the, the teenager or the, the youth doesn't want to go, don't give up there. Once they have an experience, especially with a, an, ex, uh, an experienced, skilled clinician, a therapist, because not, not everybody out there is a good match, you know, for people. So you have to find person that you can trust, that you feel safe with, and can open up to. So that's the, the first thing. I would also say that it's, it is, it, the stigma is real but it's actually coming down. It's decreasing. And I think COVID gave us that, that, that impact because it became normal to have feelings of, of stress and anxiety and depression because everybody did. It was sort of Ah. like collective state of uh, being. And, and so that, that stigma wasn't as strong as it, it had been in the past. And we, I see that continuing just because of the access needs. People are accessing the care. So it's not the same as it was pre-COVID as far as stigma. Well, that's encouraging. Well, thank you so much, Heather, Ray, for the important work you're doing and for sharing all this with us. I'm going to give you the last word on anything you want to mention in terms of how to access Common Ground, a reminder about this new hotline in terms of what do you want people to remember right off the bat? The takeaway here is 
there is help out there. And it, it much of the help does not have anything to do with income or insurance and can be anonymous. So I would highly recommend people who are, are needing help or reaching out to, to, to talk to someone, try the 988 line, call and, and get that, that help. I would also encourage people to go to our website, as I mentioned, www.commongroundhelps.org. We have many service, crisis services that people can learn about. I mentioned the behavioral health urgent care where people can access that right away. But there's also our a telephone number for, for help and many other services that I, I would highly suggest people learn more about and access if they need them. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Heather Ray, CEO of Common Ground, on the front lines of helping to tackle the mental health crisis that is having such an impact on so many of us. Now let's all go power up. Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll keep listening. And if you can spare two minutes, please rate us on Google, Apple, or your favorite podcast platform because it really helps to build visibility for this podcast and it helps other aspiring women to find important episodes such as this conversation with Heather Ray. We have over 100 episodes for you to choose from and I'd love to hear from you about your questions or ideas for future podcasts through my andoyleleadership.com website. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb. I'm Ann Doyle.